All right, you can take your seats. And like Alex said at the end of the service, if you're interested in just learning more, and uh, wouldn't just have you gather here in the front. My name is Rich Doring. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here, and uh, we're just thrilled to have you here. I want to encourage you to take advantage of the prayer cards that are in your seats, the back of those seats, or in the back if you've got a prayer need. And, uh, and if you're brand new today, filling out that welcome card uh, gives us your social security information, all kinds of dirt. No. It just gives us the opportunity to connect with you. And uh, there's somebody that's at the welcome desk out front. And so if you would stop by there, we have a gift for you and just uh, an ability to connect. And so I want to thank you for that. I want to read... Uh, I want to read for you today a passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. You'll see it on the screen, Matthew 6, 5 through 8. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I want to, uh, I want to start this morning by talking about data mining and the monetization of people's spiritual hunger. Because that's naturally how you begin a sermon on prayer. Now, when I, when I talk about monetization, um, I'm not talking about $200 of pop tickets for front seats at a worship concert uh, while the cheapos get to sit in the $50 seats out in the back. That's a whole different conversation. I'm talking about predatory uh, data mining that's exploiting people looking for answers. Uh, data mining, if you don't know what that is, is something that online companies do. Facebook does this. Google does it. I mean, any, any online entity, particularly social media, does this. They, they figure out what it is that you're clicking you like. They're figuring out what you're posting about. They're figuring out what you follow. All of these different, th all the things that you search. All this data mining takes place, and it takes place, and then all the information that's gathered about you, it's like, it's why when you post something about a political candidate or a party, all of a sudden, the algorithms kind of gang up on you and feed you all kinds of information about that political party and that candidate and stuff, and all the reasons why you should hate the other one and, and all kinds of different stuff. And in the end, what that data mining and what that does, that monetization of all of that is your information is actually sold to the highest bidder. Um, there's a really great documentary I would encourage anybody to watch called The Social Dilemma. Uh, you should check it out because what you begin to realize is, and I'm not Captain Conspiracy Theory or anything like that, but it's just a reality. Uh, when you go on social media, you're actually the one for sale. You're the one for sale. And your information, the things that you center your life around are monetized and given to companies so that they can target their advertising and things like that towards you. So here's what's even more sad about that. There's no subject matter that's too sacred to monetize, and that includes prayer. That includes prayer. That's, that's according to research that claims that prayer apps like Instapray 
There is literally an app that was called Instapray. Uh, Uberpray and Pray.com have actually fallen victim to monetizing what people are seeking prayer for. Um, many people who download those apps and a lot of other apps, there's a ton of them, uh, do so because there's something about prayer that they feel like they need. They want to pray. They want to learn how to pray. They want to be a part of a prayer movement, all that kind of stuff. Maybe those people are looking for ways to pray because they're in a crisis situation in their life. They're looking for support. They're looking to connect with this God that they've heard about. And somehow that they know that, that prayer is one of the ways that that happens. And so they seek out ways to, to do that. And uh, those apps attract users and then exploit them by tracking uh, and collecting data that's then turned around and sold to marketers. Uh, an article in the Washington Post said these, these apps in particular represent a holy trinity of isolated people that are hungry for attachment, religions desperate for growth in an online world, and then technology investors searching for consumer niches that have yet to have been digitized and monetized. So it's a targeted thing. There was a scene in the life of Jesus where he showed up at the temple. And at the temple, there were, uh, there were certain things that you needed to bring to sacrifice, to give, to worship. And you bought those in the outer courts. And the people who were running those outer courts uh, had monetized worship, essentially. and began charging exorbitant, uh, just multiplied fees for the things that people needed to purchase to be able to bring to worship. And Jesus showed up one day and quite aggressively uh, brought the good news <laughs> that worship is free and uh, that you don't have to buy your way into the kingdom. And so uh, that's kind of the thing that comes to my mind. So why are we talking about this? What does this have to do with pray? Well, prayer, it, it has to do with what that, that actual d um, data mining revealed. Okay, so it revealed that at least 55% of the people who say that they do pray, pray every single day. I think that's a decent number. 55% of the people that say, I pray, pray every single day. Then it just gets really interesting. So there's a group of people called the nuns, not N-U-N-S's, okay? The N-O-N-E-S, they're the ones on the data surveys who, if they're asked what religion you are, they say none, okay? Of those people, those who claim no religious affiliation, 20% of them pray every day. 20% of those who claim no religious affiliation pray every day. What that tells you is there's something that people know. Like there's, there's, there's an understanding that prayer is important and that prayer connects us to God. Even though we may not buy the whole religion thing or church thing and all that other kind of stuff, there's something in people. Then this, I think this was the most interesting. 5% of people who say that they do not believe in God at all pray once a month. To who? Right? But again, there's something God, in Scripture it says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. There's something in us that knows that we need to connect that we need to commune with something much bigger than ourselves. So when you Google the question, how can I pray? I don't know if you've done this before. You go to Google, you type in a question, and then all of a sudden it populates it with other questions that people have asked like yours. Have you ever seen this? 
And so if you type in, how can I pray, next thing you know, there's all these questions that other people have asked. How do I start praying? What do I say when I pray? How do I pray to my God? Do I pray to God or Jesus? And on and on and on are the questions. So it's clear. It's clear that people want to pray, that they're trying to figure out how to pray. And it's also clear that Jesus has stuff to say about prayer. He gives us things like the Lord's Prayer. The disciples come to him and say, hey, teach us how to pray. And he says, this is how you should pray, our Father. And he goes through the whole Lord's Prayer. But then, based on the passage of Scripture I read at the beginning, it's clear that he has some other things to say about prayer, too. Like, not just here's how you do it, but here's some stuff that you shouldn't do when you pray. It's almost like, and this is funny, because during these 21 days of prayer, us as staff are getting on and praying on Facebook but it's almost kind of like saying, hey, when you pray, you don't have to post about it on Facebook. <laughs> you don't have to do all these different things. So he's kind of warning us a little bit about what prayer is not or how not to do it. So we're kind of in this place of, well, what do you do? How do you do this? What, is, what does a prayer life look like? And so we're in part two of three in this three-part series on being rooted in prayer. We're doing this in conjunction with those 21 days of prayer that we started on February 1st. I just want to take a moment to say thank you for engaging with that. That's been a blessing for me to participate in and for me to see as you've kind of grabbed onto those things and taken those and run. Thank you to those that have been coming on the, in the morning prayer sessions. That's been a huge blessing to get together with other believers and pray for one another's needs, the needs of the people in our church. That's been a, a real blessing. And uh, all of that to say, last week we kind of landed on this issue and this thing that we've kind of discovered, and it's this. A radical follower of Jesus is less about doing extraordinary things for God instead of having rooted encounters with an extraordinary God. Rooted encounters with an extraordinary God. We talked about last week silence. We talked about solitude. What does it mean to be quiet? What does it mean to find a place that's quiet and where you don't speak? <laughs> where others aren't speaking, but you're actually stopping long enough in life so God can get a word in, so God can speak. Um, but we all know that there's this other part of prayer where you actually do have to say some stuff. Right? Prayer is a dialogue. It's communion. It's, it's, it's a conversation. And it calls for dialogue. So the question then is, how do you do it? How do you pray? From a very practical standpoint, and last week, I mentioned that this is kind of a little bit of a, a practical series. Uh, we just want to put some tools in your hands when it comes to prayer, and what you do with those is up to you. Uh, some of you have prayer lives and patterns of prayer and ways that you approach prayer that I need to observe, that I need to learn from. And what I just want to share with you today is something that I personally have found that has helped me to be more rooted in Jesus Christ over the years as I've put this into practice. Uh, now, again, when it comes to prayer, and what you do with this is completely up to you, there's all kinds of patterns, there's all kinds of different tools that are available. I know some of you have heard about some of these. There's the ACTS, A-C-T-S, model of prayer, adoration, you know, praise for God, confession, coming before God and confessing anything in your life that doesn't line up with Him. T, thankfulness, showing gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done in your life, and supplication, bringing some of those needs of yourself and others to God. There's also the P, 
P-R-A-Y. We love our acronyms, don't we? P-R-A-Y, praise, repent, act, and then yield your life over to God. Then we have the prayer hand. How many of you have ever heard of the prayer hand? Okay, the prayer hand, these five little things, confession, petition, intercession, thanksgiving, praise. There's a bunch of these, okay? Uh, there's all kinds of tools that you can use in your own personal prayer time uh, to do that. But today, what I want to just do is I want to share with you a way of approaching prayer that for me personally, um, and again, if, if you do this, that's great. Uh, if not, that's okay. But, but for me personally, one of the issues that I began to run into in my own life was prayer did become just one other thing that I felt like I needed to be doing. I don't know, I, I'm a list guy, right? So I have my list. My Google Calendar's right here, and here's my to-do list right next to it, and I get, the, I get the satisfaction of checking a box, and then it goes away, which is an amazing feeling. I know, it's just... My dopamine comes quickly in those moments, so it's just click that little check, right? And so... For me, prayer became one of those things that if I didn't do it in the morning, by the evening, it'd be like, oh man, I didn't check prayer off my list today. And I know, I know deep down in my heart that prayer is supposed to be more than that. That's not a conversation, that's an obligation, right? Like, man, I forgot to say hello to my wife today. I've got to check that off. I'm sure that makes her feel amazing that I took the time to put her on a list, okay? And so I just know in my own life, that I needed to figure out, how do I have this conversation? How does this become more than just uh, a to-do thing on my list to get done? And so what I want to do is just kind of share with you a tool about approaching prayer that's aligned with Scripture. It's called Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina. And some of you are thinking, all right, this is what we get when our pastor's a former Catholic. We get weird Latin stuff. Listen, I never even heard about this until after, long after I'd become a pastor. Uh, from Juan Vittoriano Monteblanco. How about that name? Isn't that amazing? I'm just rich Doring. Rhymes with boring. Uh, my, my friend who's a pastor is Juan Vittoriano Monteblanco. We call him Vito, and Vito's a good friend of mine, and Vito's the one that actually taught me this. And uh, this is just a, it, it's a tool, and and it's, a, it's an approach to scripture and prayer that honestly has changed my rootedness, I think, in Christ over the years. Uh, I knew, again, in my heart, prayer was meant to be transformational. Prayer was meant to be a conversation and communal. And so Lectio Divina, simply put, translated from Latin, is divine reading. Divine reading. So it's this centuries-old approach, it's not new, it's a centuries-old approach to Scripture that's designed to create lasting change and, and kind of a deeper communion with God. It's not just seeking Scripture for information. Uh, we read it to experience transformation. Now, we're going to talk about this at another time, but Scripture is not just information. This is not just information for you to agree with. Okay? That's, not, that's not what this is. Uh, unfortunately, that's how it's treated by a lot of people. People want to be able to support a certain doctrinal position or a certain bias or, or whatever it is. That's how we approach Scripture. The focus is not what is God saying to me in the Scripture, but unfortunately, it's how can I use my Bible knowledge to make sure that you know that you're wrong. There's a lot of times how we handle Scripture, and, and I want to make sure that what I believe is right and that you're wrong. 
Now, knowledge is good. Obviously, I'm not going to be opposed to knowledge. knowledge. Knowing doctrine is really important. And understanding what God's uh, desires for us, that's important. But the Word of God has a much, much larger purpose than just giving us guardrails or, or telling us not just how to believe, but what to believe. Okay? There's more to Scripture than that. God didn't give us the Bible so that we could out-debate those who disagree with us. He gave us the Bible so that we would know Him. He gave us the Word of God that we would know Him and, in knowing Him, be more like His Son. That's why we have this. The purpose of Scripture is transformation. So what does that have to do with prayer? Well, I know that this is different, again, than how we usually approach messages on Sunday morning, but there are times of instruction. I really do believe that. There are times of instruction where we as a church have to say, this, this may be how we need to move forward on something. And I just want to give you a tool that might strengthen you and might edify God in the process in your life at the same time. So Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina consists of four parts. The first part is reading. This is not earth-shattering stuff either. This is not like super flashy. So it starts with reading. You slowly, reverentially read. You take your time. You sit with the words, which if last week resonated with you, I mean, I was preaching to myself last week. If last week resonated with you at all, this is not what we are used to. Slowly methodically, pausing to read. This is why it's important to find solitude. This is why it's important to not rush. The truth is, a lot of people, myself included, uh, we, we, approach, we approach Scripture almost like a news feed. Like we're scrolling through a news feed. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for something specific. I'm looking for... There it is. I found it. I'm going to highlight it. I'm going to post it. I'm going to do whatever I got to do. But I, I found what I was looking for. I found the information that I was looking for. And sometimes I'm guilty of this. Okay? Our approach of Scripture really is to kind of find the, the nugget, right, and get through it. Get through it and find the nugget. I don't generally anymore do the through the Bible in one year plans. I've done that. Uh, I don't do that anymore, not because I think that it's a bad idea, but because I know me. I know what I'm like. It'll become something to check off of a list. And if I don't do it today, I'll be that much more behind tomorrow. Okay? It doesn't become this conversation with God. It's not a way for God to speak to me. So for Scripture to be transformational, it's got to be more than informational for us. So you start small. Maybe it's one psalm. There are several psalms that are very, very short, right in the smack dab middle of your Bible. Maybe it's just a verse or two in a psalm. Maybe it's a few verses from the Gospels. Maybe it's a few verses or one verse from one of Paul's letters in the New Testament. Read through it once. You read it. I'm going to model this in just a little bit, but here's how this would look. Okay, so I, I've been spending some time uh, since the beginning of the year working, some, working my way through the Gospels. And uh, so let's just use Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, there's a scene at the end of Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Let me read this for you. It's an interaction between Jesus and two sisters. This is the interaction. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, 
He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. And then you read it again. Slower this time. Now, I do most things about 90 miles an hour because I know that after I do what I'm supposed to do, there's a hundred other things after what I'm done with need to be done next. So I'm just doing one thing to get to the next thing that I need to do to get to the next thing that I need to do. And the quicker you do that, the more you get done. So once you read that that second time, you read it again, even slower. Make this your one thing in that moment. And maybe at that point, there's a phrase that pops out or a, a thought. If you journal, if you write things down, write it down. Write, write that, that phrase down, that, that sentence, that thought. Sit with it for a bit. Don't rush. It's not like you're going to get a sticker if you get done before everybody else. So I mean, just, you, you just sit there. You sit there. And you read it, and you read it, so it all begins with this very slow, reverential reading of the text. And then you get to the next step. You meditate. Meditation. We knew that this Lectio Divina stuff sounded New Age. I knew it, this idea of meditation. Listen, if you're worried or if you're bothered by the idea of meditations, Christians meditating, uh, and think that, man, that's just one shade off of crystals and witchery. Knock it off. <laughs> quit, quit finding boogeymen. They're, the world's full of enough boogeymen without us creating more. And so, listen, meditation is scriptural. It's scriptural. Joshua 1.8 says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. Okay? So med meditation is actually biblical. It's scriptural. The Psalms are filled with encouragement to meditate and lift our hearts up in communion with God. Our focus when we meditate on God is on Him. It's on Him, it's not on ourselves. It's on personalizing the truths that are found in His Word to us. Not seeking out truth in ourselves or in you know, my truth. We're looking for His truth. Psalm 119.15 says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Psalm 77.12, I'll consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. And then there's a verse that some, many of you know is kind of close to my heart. It's our family verse, Psalm, Psalm 19.14. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The meditations of my heart. So let's rescue the word meditation from boogeyman status for just a second. In Lectio Divina, after you spend time with the passage, after you read it slowly, after you sit with it, you think. You ask. All right, God, why, why, why this passage today? What was Jesus saying to these women, Mary and Martha? Why, why was it important? Why, why, why do I need to see this today? What are you trying to tell me? Can I encourage you? A lot of times, this is the point where we go online, or we pick up a book, 
or we go find our favorite talking head somewhere to find out what they think about what we just read. Um, that's not all bad, but this is not a Bible study that we're talking about. We're not, we're not in this to study Scripture. That's, that's important, but that's not what this is. This is a conversation. So for just a bit, like last week, you're quiet, you listen, you pause, you think. If you like to journal, again, write some of it down. For me, depending on how much time that I've made, it might be 10 minutes, it might be a half hour, ask questions. All right, why, why do I need to see this today? Letting God impress upon me what he would want me to know, what he wants me to hear. Not for somebody else, which if you understand what I do for a living, 95% of my time that I go to this, I'm looking for answers for others. <laughs> How important is it for me to stop that and ask God to speak to me? To speak to me. Not for somebody else, but for me. And then you pray. Then you pray. I speak with God and, and I listen. And I'm not referring to hearing the audible voice of God. Uh, I want to tell you, I've never audibly, audibly in my life heard the voice of God. Um, in fact, some of the people that I admire most spiritually would not claim to have audibly heard from God. Instead, they've received something much louder than just an audible voice. They've heard the, their heart race and pound in their ears when the truth has made it down into their heart when God's spirit starts to work and starts to stir things up in them and they can't run from it anymore and it's so loud in their life that you can't deny it anymore and they have to reckon with the work that God is doing the question is are we listening it's not whether or not God's speaking are we listening so in Lectio Divina there's a time spent in prayer in which you just listen to God. God, what are you saying to me today? And you wait for his spirit to show you what he wants you to know. And then there's this moment where you pour your heart out to God. This, this is why you've shown this to me, I think. And so let me confess a few things to you, God. Let me lift a few things up to you. Let me realign my heart with you right now. And while I'm at it, here's some things that I'm carrying around right now. Here's some things going on in my life and giving those things. You pour your heart out to God, asking for strength, guidance, direction. You pray for others. You pray for yourself. And then the fourth thing is contemplation. There's a difference between meditation and contemplation. Meditation is, uh, God, you know, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to hear? What do you want me to see? And you think on it. Contemplation is, okay, now what? That's, that's what contemplation is. All right, God, you've spoken to me. We've spent time together. Now what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And I can't tell you, this is why this has impacted me more than anything else, is because generally speaking, my approach to God first is what do I need to do? Or what do I not need to do? <laughs> but, but what do I need to do? Because I do. That's what I do. I do. <laughs> I do do. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's what I do. I just... That, that is just how I'm wired. I'm ready to do things for God. And he's kind of sometimes just saying, would you just be with me? Would you just be with me? 
contemplation. There's something that's so settling for me in this that this is the last thing. This is the last thing, not the first thing. What actions now, based on our conversation, do I need to do or not do? And maybe even write those things down. Write those things down. Those are the four. It's nothing radical, you know. I mean, if you were like, can't wait to hear what Pastor Rich says today. Well, well, this is it. So, but uh, it's nothing radical. Those are the four. Lectio Divina, pray, meditate, or read, meditate, pray, and contemplate. But what I want to do now is, can I just model this for you? Can I model for you what this looks like? And I know that this sounds so funny after I just read the passage that says, don't do this in front of people. But, um, but I do want to just kind of show you, and this is not my chair, it's just the big orange comfy chair from the room behind the uh, wall here. But honestly, when this happens mostly is in the morning for me. Uh, it's usually on a couch upstairs in our living room. I have a permanent indentation on one end of the couch, and, uh, and this is where I do it. You might kneel, you might, you might do anything. Don't, I'm just showing you how this works in, in my life. But like I said, I'm methodically working my way through the Gospels. And so it's no coincidence that Luke chapter 10 is where I'm at. And so it does. It begins with me making sure that the dog isn't running around, making sure I haven't turned on the TV or the news yet, making sure that I'm alone. And it may be 10 minutes. There's been times when it's been an hour where I will literally just sit and listen and pray off and on. But it usually begins with making sure that things are quiet and that I'm not distracted. Don't have the laptop open on the coffee table and my phone is over there somewhere. I just open up. Okay? And it's Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. So as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And so then, because time is an issue today, I would read it again and again. And I generally, personally, tend to do shorter passages, three, four verses maybe. And so there's, there are a few things as I've read this and I begin to meditate on it that do pop out to me personally. Uh, the first is this. Um, Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet. To me, that's a place of submission. You're going to sit at somebody's feet. Um, and she's listening to what Jesus said. And if you know this story about Mary and Martha, it's very easy to be Martha in those moments. For me, here's all the things I need to do for God. Um, so it's at that point that I get convicted. I say, all right, God, 
my to-do list right now doesn't mean anything right this moment. What matters right now is that I'm with you. So I need to put my to-do list out of my mind. I'm with you. With you. And then he says, Martha, Martha. That's the one that really gets me a little bit because he's saying her name. So here you have Jesus, and he's sitting there. He's speaking. This is the Son of God. And he's saying her name. This is very personal. And so I can read this now and say, Rich, Rich, you're worried about and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. That I, Rich, would be with him. After some time of thinking through what God maybe wants me to hear, I just move into praying. God, first of all, thank you for loving me the way that you do. Thank you for being with me. And I can see here, Father, I don't want to do this. I don't want to live my life um, ordered by a to-do list. I want to be able to know that being with you is the most important thing, and so Thank you for reminding me today that this right here is the most important thing. So thank you for speaking to me. And, and Father, you know. You know how much and how often I stew, I worry, I uh, have anxiety about the things that I need to get done, about the things that other people around me need to get done, and how do I help them get those things done. Father, you you see all of those different things about me, and in the moment, you're, you're looking at me so wound up about those different things, asking me to be still, to be still, to be with you. Father, I know better. I know that when I am with you and, and you speak into my heart and I stop long enough that you, um, that you have a way of making this to-do list seem a little less anxious. And so... I give that list over to you today. I, I surrender that to you, and, and Father, I, I thank you for making me stop for a bit and um, just be with you and to thank you and to show love for you. And Father, thank you for my family, and, and then usually it's at this point in prayer that I, I begin going into supplication, sharing some of the needs, some of the things that are going on, and then I close that out. And then if I've written anything down, I'm, I've kind of gotten out of the habit of writing things down. My wife is really good at that, but I've gotten out of the habit of writing things down because my brain is so amazing. I can just remember everything. But uh, yours is too, I know. Um, but uh, I start, you know, what do I need to do based on what I found out about this? Well, maybe not like the first thing I do every morning, open up my calendar to figure out all of the things that I need to get done today and just kind of take it slow. And so, God, today I'm going to take it slow. I'm going to make sure I look for how you're pausing me throughout the day so I don't miss the people in my life, too. And, uh, and that's some of the things I want to make sure I do today and listen to your voice as you speak to me. So that's kind of what that looks like. It's nothing, like, super radical or different or abstract but I guess the thing that I would tell you is it, it starts with 
It starts with stopping. It does. It starts with a very intentional stopping and allowing there to be some space between you and the urgency. Let's listen, man. How many of you have a list of things you need to get done today? You all are lying. You're liars. Oh. Or either that or we have to trade lives or something. I've got my list. We all have things that we know that are out there that are undone that we've got to take care of, right? I just called you all liars, so I will, tomorrow in my time with God, when he shows me uh, some things that I need to, uh, so I'll just get it out of the way. I apologize. No, no, I think you, (laughs) I think you understand what I'm saying. It's just the tyranny of the urgent, and uh, I'm excited. We're, We're looking at doing something this fall. There's a book called With, and uh, it's by Sky Jatani. You've heard me talk about him before. But there's so many times that we catch ourselves wanting to so aggressively do amazing things for God and aggressively go, 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 that we forget that God is just literally waiting for us to be with him. That's why he sent Christ. That's why he became flesh, so that we might be with him, with him. Would you stand today? Let me close our time in prayer, and I would love for you to take advantage of just getting to know Alex better, and uh, if you're interested at all in learning more about World Vision and, uh, and what they do to make a difference in so many lives across the world, I would encourage you to come up front and meet with Alex. But, uh, let me pray for us as we get ready to leave today. Father, uh, I just thank you again for your love and your mercy, your grace, um, and for being with us. And uh, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now. Um, I think of Turkey. I think of uh, just the uncertainties of so many people right now in Eastern Europe uh, who are just dealing with so much tragedy. Uh, I pray that you would draw close in those situations. I pray that you would know, that they would know, Father, that you are there with them. Father, be with us. As we leave this place, help us to know that you want us to abide in you and with you. And uh, Father, give us uh, the discipline. Uh, Give me the discipline, Father. Give us the wherewithal to pause long enough to hear your voice. We love you. We praise you. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. If you're going to meet with Alex, just right here in the front.